Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. In an uncertain world, there is always music which can be listened to in good company. Welcome to Friday, the show where we speak to friends and interesting people to the backdrop of great music. Today we speak to actor, mother and trombone player Susie Riddell about the ups and downs, the worries and the depression that can come with acting. first thing you do when you wake up in the morning um pretend i'm still asleep do you have the luxury of that considering you're currently pregnant you've got a wee little one and you've got somewhat of a hectic busy creative career can you afford to still be still pretend to be asleep in, in the daytime when i'm awake i think i will get up 5 30 an hour before beatrice and i will do some writing or I'll do a bit of yoga and set myself up mentally for the day um does it, it doesn't ever happen because I'm just too tired and I need to stay in bed uh I know I've got friends who get up at 5 30 who've got three kids by the way and get up at 5 30 and go to the gym and they make me feel sick <laughs> I just can't do it yeah it'd be great to be one of those people who only needs sort of five hours sleep and um can still function like a normal human being but unfortunately work for me so those friends of yours that get up at five o'clock in the morning half five and then go to the gym do you think you should be like them when I was younger (laughs) I used to get up at six and go swimming Mm -hmm. quite often and when I when I actually get my head in gear and if it's at the weekend for example and my husband's still in the house is in the house because he gets up really early I'll try and go and do a bit of pregnancy yoga because that's helpful and it does make me feel better you know you kind of then get on with the day because you're stretched out a bit you need we need to stretch out in the morning well I do anyway I feel really crumpled and I think gym would be too much I wouldn't like to do weights at 5 30 in the morning and that's the opposite effect if you can if you can do something if you can achieve something like first thing in the morning I think it really sets you up and often what I achieve would be putting the washing on or emptying the dishwasher and I still tick that off I have done that well done that is a task done I don't have to do it later so is pregnancy is pregnancy yoga maybe a little bit of a life metaphor for you in that it's a bit of gentle stretching 
you know you've got a little you, you've got a little bit of weight you're carrying and and whatever which is you know metaphorical of of life and and worries and stress and potential but what you need is just a little bit of gentle stretching i think so and i think uh, certainly if i'm warming up if i'm about to do a show uh, on stage and actually even about to perform do a performance on radio for radio drama or or whatever it might be just taking a moment to stretch and try and clear your head is really important i'm the sort of person who will who will spend a lot of time awake at night worrying about stuff that when you wake up in the morning you realize was completely pointless you can't achieve anything by lying awake at night worrying about stuff and i know this rationally yeah it's just a bit of a waste of time and i think yeah i think you're right i think if, i think everyone just needs to stretch actually just stretching i should just stand and stretch and put my hands in the air that would make me feel better i'm going to do that tomorrow i won't get around to the pregnancy yoga if i'm honest yeah i think i think i need a little bit of a gentle pull and a bit of a gentle i need a stretch and a bit of clarity but you know you've not been honest with me <laughs> have i not been honest because the first thing that everybody does first thing in the morning is fiddle with their phone. No, my phone's downstairs. I don't have my phone in my room. Wow. Because. Because. Well, I think it's the... I would look at it in the middle of the night and that would stress me out even more. And it wakes you up. So I've, for a long time I've not had my phone in my room. Does that go for hubby too? He does have his phone. Because he will often be watching something. Um... Or like a, a program on his phone maybe before sleep whereas I would probably read a book but when I have been working late on my computer or checking messages or whatever and then go straight to bed I'll fall asleep straight away and then about three hours later I'll wake up and I'll be awake for hours and it's always there's a direct correlation between that and working screen late screen time how hard is it to balance home with work especially if a lot of your work you have to physically do at mm. home so how are you able to put up those walls between now's the time to maybe write a script or to chase up an agent about a specific role and then actually to parent a little one i think it's really hard actually um so how do you do it i think it's really hard because when you're a freelancer I am guessing this is quite similar for other professions as well. If you're, if you're working as a freelancer, you feel like you need to respond immediately. Um, and that's what we've been trained into thinking because we've got these tablets with us all the time that an email comes in. And particularly with voice work, there's a, a unique, I need a response now, otherwise someone else is going to get the job. And I find it very stressful and also really, um, it's definitely not parent-friendly, carer-friendly, I would say. I can't drop everything and do a voice sample that has to be in, in the next hour because I've got a three-year-old who isn't going to be very happy with me sort of hiding under a duvet for 15 minutes to try and get a voice right on an advert or something. I do find the profession tricky like that at times, and I think there is a move... There's an organisation called Parents in Performing Arts, PIPA, trying to bring an awareness of these things to employers because it isn't easy. And and I do I have a pull. I do have a, 
this sort of pull in me of oh, well, I need to play with with my daughter but I've got to just send this email and I find myself saying all the time I'm just gonna I'm just give me five minutes or I'll be there in a minute it's annoying I hear myself doing it so do you think that you miss out on roles then maybe because you don't necessarily respond that fast um sometimes I've missed stuff because I just haven't got around to doing it I haven't got round. I haven't I haven't been in the game and you've got to be in it to have a chance um and sometimes I just have to think well you know what I ha- I couldn't and just uh, let it go and and I have had to turn jobs down because I haven't been able to get childcare and again I just have to put that down to that's just the way it is um if you give me a date that you want me to do something you know it's not just me I have to sort out childcare um so there's a whole train of people behind me who are affected and then you move that date oh oh but it might not be then it might be this other day it's like ah it's really difficult and it's that sort of thing that I'd quite like to change so how do you see things changing for you let's say in five six ten years time are you still fundamentally going to still be a jobbing actor who's doing voiceover work maybe doing some tv work um some radio work or do you see yourself maybe moving into some kind of role within acting so that you can um dictate a little bit more to the industry when and how you can give your time to it um the 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 looking at the looking ahead and seeing myself as an older woman um is, is something i've i've kind of struggled with um because because as you say it's that it's this idea of being a jobbing actor and and most actors are jobbing actors i suppose until you are until you reach a, a position where you can where you are maybe an executive producer or you're a writer or you are the sort of actor where people come to you and say oh would you do you know would you be involved in my project and I do struggle with that because I uh, I now don't want to do other stuff like I'm not going to um a bit in the past I've been a tour guide which I loved and it was a fantastic job because you could everyone else was an actor so everyone else had you know people had auditions oh can you cover my shift and they didn't and that was fine and it really worked as a job but I don't want to do other stuff now. I'm not. I'm not interested in making money and being a waitress or something. It's gone past that point. I do struggle with the idea that at I don't know 55, I'll still be going. Oh gosh, why is my agent wrong? <laughs> and I, but I do. I do see myself. I'll still be an actor. I think I'll still be an actor when I'm 80 um, because I love it. It's not about the job. It's about something that makes me really, really happy. It's a hobby that I that I am lucky enough to get paid for. I, that's why I've started writing because I would like to branch into other other ways of making work. And my theatre company is plays a part in that. And I I really value what I do with Idiot Child, the partner I run that with, Anna Harpin, because we're just doing we're doing it ourselves, and we're going into theatre, you know, wonderful theatres, and we're performing in front of audiences, and it's it's great. Um, and I don't always get paid for the work that I do but when we're lucky enough to get funding we do get paid and that's great but yeah I'm hoping that by writing 
something for myself that will enable me to hold a bit more sway, I suppose. If we go back to the writing, is it just natural that an actor wants to write and and is maybe an actor that wants to write fundamentally a director that actually what you want to do is not just interpret another person's vision but lay on the vision the world for the audience well i mean as an actor anyway you're kind of you your own interpretation the development of how you play i don't know uh lady macbeth but still you're well i'm just thinking that no go on you, you go first my lady macbeth is going to be different to anybody else's and and I would re- I will relish playing finding my own way of playing that character. But I think having an understanding of different areas of work. So I think most actors have probably got some experience of directing, whether that be something they did as a young a young performer in a drama group they were in, or maybe at university, or maybe they've continued that through into their professional career. I've got experience, I've got a lot of experience of producing, actually, and I really love producing. Some people find a bit strange. (laughs) What's more stressful? Is it being an actor taking direction which you might not agree with? Being a director and having an actor who (laughs) won't take your direction or producing? Um, I think, oh gosh, well, there's different types of stress. It's really, it's different because as an actor it's very sort of personal and you can end up feeling like oh I'm I'm not getting it I'm rubbish at this I think most actors go through a period in rehearsal where you think I'm really crap (laughs) I am terrible at acting and then suddenly there is a light and uh, it all clicks and then it's usually fine and sometimes it's not (laughs) directing I haven't directed for a while um, I did direct at university and I did, I have directed young, I used to run a, a youth drama workshop ages four to seven and then seven to 12 on a Saturday morning. I love the four to seven year olds. They'll, they'll do anything. They just like playing. It was great. Uh, seven to 12, slightly trickier as they get a bit older. <laughs> they start talking back. But I think as a producer, when you're really responsible and you've got so many, there's so much to do. That's stressful because it's time limited and it's other people are relying on you and stuff has to get done. Otherwise, the show ain't going to happen. But I love it as well. And I love I love organising things. And that's why I like producing. And I like writing emails. I like communicating with people. I think that's it. And I think I think that's why I'm an actor. And I like just chatting. <laughs> I think producers are good at chatting and making connections with people. But another thing that you also like to do is you like to listen to a little bit of, I'd call it intelligent fiddly-dee, fiddly-die music. So Seth Lakeman and this track, Lady of the Sea. Now, you're making me feel like a grown-up listening to this. What do you get from Seth Lakeman? Well, I've last heard of Seth Lakeman. When he was nominated for the Mercury Prize, and he's got this album called Kitty J, which is amazing, and you should listen to it. But that his next album had Lady of the Sea on it. There's lots of things I love about it. I think his voice is brilliant, and I love the sound of the fiddle and guitars um, and that folk sound. 
every single one of his songs has got a fantastic story that usually comes from the area he is from, which is Dartmoor. But the reason I picked this song is because, for many reasons, really. For that, because I, I love it. Two, because we listened to it a lot when I was touring with a theatre company called Odd Socks Productions, based in Derby. And they gave me my first a kind of big theatre role, really. Uh, and it was touring, national touring. Um, and I was playing Lady Macbeth in Macbeth. And it was an outdoor tour. And it was the most amazing bunch of people you could possibly want to work with. And we just had a really fantastic summer. Uh, great weather. I loved it. And we listened to a lot of, I made them listen to Seth Lakeman quite a lot. And everyone really loved this song. And we, we it was acting musicians as well. So there were people who played the Baran and lots of guitarists, brass players, myself included. We used to play lots of music as well. And, and it reminded me of uh, sort of folk music. Also, I have sung this song several times in auditions and got jobs so it feels like a bit of good luck and the final reason I've chosen it is because I actually met Seth Lakeman I was very giddy he is relatively easy on the eye (laughs) Um, but he was playing um, in a Radio 2 BBC Radio 2 concert that I was taking part in as an actor it was D-Day 75 years on at the Royal Albert Hall which was um, being broadcast live on Radio 2 uh, and it was sort of D-Day minute by minute sort of taking you through it's it's a song that's kind of been with me for well I mean it must have been 2005 I suppose when I first heard it um, and it makes me feel happy even though it's quite sad <laughs>
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Susie, mm-hmm. you kind of just dropped in conversation that you played the trombone. Now, <laughs> of all the instruments to play, if you want to woo the opposite sex or just appear to be cool, that's not the instrument to choose is it why did you choose to play the trombone well I was 11 when I chose to play the trombone and neither wooing the opposite sex or being cool were very high on my agenda <laughs> and some might say the latter has continued <laughs> the former play <laughs> quite a large part in the rest of my adolescence um I started off playing piano when I was a bit younger than 11 um, and quite enjoyed it and then thought oh I'm fancy playing another instrument so I had a go at the oboe didn't really take to the oboe and so this I remember being in a music lesson and a brass musician came in to show us all the different instruments he played the trumpet and then he played the trombone and I thought that's so unusual and quite comical and I don't know anyone else who plays the trombone I'd quite like to do that so I did. <laughs> so, yeah, this small 11-year-old girl <laughs> playing the trombone must have looked really funny, actually. Were you any good? <laughs> oh, I was terrible um, because I never practised. <laughs> the one time I got really good was when the school did a production of Bugsy Malone. If my daughter plays an instrument, I am going to have to just get her to practise because there's no point otherwise. <laughs> if you're playing every day... And having to compose music as well, um, then, yeah, you improve. Um, and I should play it more often. But you're not only just a musician, also your voice is an instrument as well. Do you think if you are a halfway successful actor, you need to be able to sing? Does that then um, open up even more roles for you? I've done a lot of auditions where I've had to sing. I am certainly not, um, <clears throat> you know, you're not going to see me in Wicked anytime soon. I've had to sing a lot in productions. And, I, yeah, I think you do need to be able to sing. I think you need to be able to hold a tune because there's so many productions that, that require you to sing, even if you don't, you know, you're not expected to be Bette Midler. Most actors can, I think, to a certain extent, and some actors surprisingly well. You never hear them sing and then suddenly, oh, hello. <laughs> yeah, I think it's important. So you can sing, you can play the instrument, but also you're kind of a little bit of an activist, or at least you believe that theatre, that the acting in, in the theatre can have a role in terms of activism. Um, tell us a little bit about that and um, your theatre company, Idiot Child. I think um, theatre is can be a very powerful medium for, um, well, educating people uh, and young people um, about different things without kind of hammering them over the head with the topic. Um, 
opening people's minds to things into different ways of looking at the world and also it can fire create a fire in people to go and 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 make a difference and do something about injustice or things that aren't aren't quite right in the world and I'm actually doing a show next week at Camden People's Theatre in London called Temporary and the piece has been written by a fantastic actress called Libby Liebird and directed by Julie Addy. Essentially, it's about the current social housing crisis, more specifically about single mothers in temporary accommodation. And I have to say, it's something I really knew very little about. Um, I was aware that there is a problem with a lack of social housing, but I had no idea how deep the problem ran. You know, it, it affects all ages and all races. It's a big, big issue at the moment. And this play is very funny, believe it or not, which I think is a really important thing when you're making theatre that is about a topic that is quite serious because um, otherwise it just gets a bit earnest and isn't very entertaining. It's a very funny, very true piece about what's going on at the moment. I want to add my my voice and uh, anything I can do to change the system. And I think it, that's how it makes audiences feel as well. You're kind of laughing along and then also really cringing and wondering what you can do to, when you leave the theatre to go and make a difference. I'm very proud of it. And hopefully it will open um, people's eyes a little bit to what's going on, the reality of the situation in social housing at the moment. Yeah. Do you think that visceral activism in terms of the theatre naturally has to tilt left? You know, when I think of activism and political, thought-provoking, issue-based drama, Mm -hmm. I always think of it in terms of a social good to right some kind of social wrong which invariably is left-leaning why do you think that is um i think that's right that is a correct uh, opinion i suppose the arts uh are well actually yeah i mean they are a lib it's a liberal thing i suppose and if you think about how when if you've got a very very left very very right um political leadership looking back in the past um for example then what's the first thing to get shut down it's the arts because that's how people express themselves and how people can express truth about situations in a different way it's actors and musicians and painters who have received the brunt of censorship if you like i suppose i don't it's probably that's not always the case i mean there are right-wing <laughs> theatre makers and painters and musicians but yeah I would say it's got a historic it's got a history of left wingism and I suppose a lot of people that work in the arts are left-leaning um you don't earn any money <laughs> and you're a bit <laughs> bohemian I suppose well um not everybody is but I certainly <laughs> fall into that bracket say with Susie but like with your varied CV of work you know you, you must have earned a pretty packet do your voice work you do your theatre work etc 
you can't be called a, a poor starving actor anymore, can you? Well, I'm very lucky to have married a man who has a proper job. <laughs> Honestly, there may be. I don't know many actors personally who make very much money, um, which is why people have to do other jobs to keep going. You might do quite well from one job and then the next one you might not get paid for, but you're doing it because you love it. I mean, the money's in TV and film, really. And if you're very well known, you might get a load of very lucrative, I don't know, voice uh, voiceovers for an advert or something. It's not a job to go into if you if you want to make a fortune. I would say that to anybody considering an acting profession. If money's your bag, just don't. Go and do something else. So obviously being an actor is notoriously a profession that has ups and downs. Do you ever think that sometimes it might be just best just to, to give up? Yeah. I mean, at least three times a year. And I think I would say most if not all actors, have the, these thoughts when it gets tough. And I was just thinking what I've, been, what I've enjoyed about speaking to you is being able to think about why I'm doing what I'm doing because it is a bit of a crazy thing to do for a living because you, you can't always make a living, um, but it's very hard to stop doing it. Uh, the last time I seriously considered stopping and made some investigations into doing something completely different with serious intent was the end of last year because I had about two months of feeling horribly morning sick um, because I'm pregnant uh, <laughs> just randomly um, and I was depressed because there's a lot of progesterone swinging around your body during that period and it does affect your mood um I was absolutely going to give up acting I was thinking I'm not enjoying it anymore it doesn't fulfill me I want to do something that's going to help people forgetting that you know actually and acting and entertaining people and bringing things to people's attention through the medium of theatre or I don't know um audio or um, radio drama is does help people and can bring people through things. But I just forgot all that and thought, no, I'm going to give up. Um, this is definitely what I want to do. And uh, also I was going to move to a completely different location because I think in the depths of that, well, feeling like rubbish for two months, um, I wanted to be able to, I wanted to change something. Well, I can't change the way I'm feeling, so I'll change what my life is and then obviously I'll feel better. That no, doesn't really work like that. But I've always got this sort of fallback. What What am I going to do instead? When I, When it comes down to the crunch, I definitely have no intention of giving up because I love it too much, and there's too much left to do and explore. I think social media makes life very difficult for lots of people, um, and it's very easy to think that everyone else is having a better time and having a more successful career. Because that's what we do on social media. We make ourselves look hugely successful and popular. Um, when in fact, you've just got two friends and, and a job that doesn't pay any money. <laughs> um, you've just got to remember that if you're, if you're enjoying what you're doing, just keep, keep doing it. For you, acting is a way of boosting your natural levels of serotonin. 
Is it something that you absolutely need to do then? Um, to keep mind, body and soul together in that way? Partly, yeah, I think so. What would happen if you well, didn't? Well, having had periods of not doing it, not doing live performance, largely when looking after a baby or continually <laughs> my own baby, I have felt that I need a kind of, I suppose it's a, a release or an outlet for probably got a lot of energy really and I, I think a lot of actors have you have to have a lot of energy to do this because it's frankly exhausting but I but I know that I get those happy hormones from doing other things as well which is why I sing in a choir um, and why I do sport because those things also help to make you feel good and I would recommend both those things to anybody it's, it's just something I've done forever. I've done it forever. It's part of who I am. It's part of my identity. And if I didn't do it, I would be a bit less Susie, I think. I don't know. There are a million other things I could have done, like anybody in the world. We, we've all got so much potential. Um, and it, it's... Is it fate? Is it God? I don't know. Who, how does it happen that we decide on one path and some people manage lots of paths, and they're quite lucky, I think. But, yeah, philosophical. <laughs> could, have done, could have been a lawyer. I'm glad I'm not. Um, you wouldn't have been happy being a lawyer. I don't think so. I don't think Though, so. there's a large element of performance art to that, especially, yeah. you know, when you're getting caught. Yeah. Yeah. And lots of, you know, my husband works in sales. He is essentially acting all day and he's very good at it and I would struggle to do that job yeah we're we're all actors to some extent it's just that some of us get to put on silly wigs and to do it and might get paid once in a while <laughs> once in a while I am although quite a few of the jobs I've really loved doing have been very low paid or not paid at all but that's why it's very difficult that's why it's, it's a horrendously difficult profession to be in and if you don't have support family support um, and a good fallback like my tour guiding job that I used to have or you know whatever else temping that you can do to, to bring in the pennies then it must be impossible what's the one thing that you love about the profession that after being in it for so long you just can't do without Is it the spotlight being on you? Is it, is it becoming somebody else? Or is it just the variety of the work? Well, I think, yeah, I think there are different things that add up to making it worth, worth doing. Because I do lots of different things. And I find that I get fulfilment and satisfaction from, from a variety of different things about the job. I mean, one of those would have to be just the sheer adrenaline rush of being on stage. And it really came home to me with my theatre company, Idiot Child, which I co-run with Anna Harpin. We've got a website if anyone's interested. And um, we've done some fantastic stuff. But we were, at, we were at the Edinburgh Festival last year with a show called What If The Plane Falls Out Of The Sky, which was about fear and anxiety but not like head on. It's about fear and anxiety. Um, it, it, it was an unusual piece um, that people really responded amazingly to. 
because it's very truthful, but told in an unusual way. And I love that show. Um, but we were doing it every day. We did it every single day for the whole of the Edinburgh Festival, which is nearly four weeks. And it's, it is relentless. And if you're doing a show um, touring or, I don't know, if you're in the West End or something, you'd be doing eight shows a week. Or if you're touring, you might have two days on, a day off, three days on. And this was every single day. I would be knackered because you're, you're publicizing the show as well. Plus, I had my daughter up there. So we were up at six and I was doing the mum stuff in the morning, going out flyering and then doing the show, prepping for the next day and doing it all again the next day. Every single day when I stood in front of the mirror in the changing room, changing room, which was like a, a sports um, locker room, and I started putting my makeup on, I would suddenly feel awake. And it wasn't that I was thinking, oh, I'm about to go on stage. Well, well, I was to a certain extent. But I felt physically the adrenaline whoosh into my body and it woke, woke me up. And I really enjoyed that moment. I was like, oh, it's happened. Yep, I'm here. I'm fine. I can go on stage and do an hour of solid physical comedy, um, responding, to it, responding to the audience. And I'm alert and I'm there and I'm ready. But five seconds previously, I'd been ready to fall asleep. <laughs> So that is a, a remarkable thing, which I love. So he's acting your drug. I think it is. is that what I you're think saying? it is. A, it is an addiction because that that feeling. I said drug. I didn't say you're addicted. <laughs> I am addicted. I'm addicted to acting. Probably better than being addicted to anything else. <laughs> I'm not addicted to alcohol. Not not at the moment anyway. Or fags. Yeah, I think it is a drug. A bit of a drug. But I like I like people. That's a really great thing about it because, as you said, the, there's a great variety. You're, you just meet so many people. But you could say, when you say that you like people, and I don't doubt that you do, but you could say, I like people, but I want to be the uh, person who takes the tickets at the theatre. Yeah. But you want to be more than that, though, don't you? Well, it's fun. It's playing. It's, um, it hasn't stopped being fun since I remember being seven years old and playing a wise man in my school nativity and the other two wise men were in the year above so I felt pretty I was big shot but I was like oh this is so much fun and it hasn't really stopped being fun yeah yeah I, I don't know I, I haven't really answered your question because it seems too big Susie Riddell, you have answered my question and thank you for coming on to Friday 15 and sharing with us your love of all things to do with the world of thespianism. Thank you. Thank you. It's been lovely. Fatoy is the debut album by Malian musician Fatuma Diawara. It was released in 2011. This is the simple but powerful Soa. Nebesara la musola, tu nunya musola, kula mogelema. 
Nibe kono ta segena, kide ngolo segena, kika no la mo abada. Kata gala mola, ibodi la mola, kika no tono dun abada. Sa a a a a a So what? So what? So Just a quick note for a new podcast, it's The Things That Made England, an affectionate meandering through the highways and byways of England and the English. I'm doing it with David Crowther of the History of England Notoriety, so you know it's going to be quality if he's involved. Every fortnight, one of us will take a proposal to the other and we'll talk about it, discussing its significance and impact. Why not check it out on a podcatcher of your choice today? This month's Agora Network featured podcast is American Biography, a podcast by Thomas Daly, which is dedicated to examining the lives of important and influential but less discussed Americans who played an integral, if underappreciated, role in the evolution of the United States. Now, Thomas is somebody who I'm somewhat in awe of. He has got a brain the size of a planet and he's a rather clever and engaging speaker. So, if you want to delve into American history and don't just do the you know the big rock stars of it, your Roosevelts and your Lincolns and your Washingtons, um, I re- highly recommend this podcast. It's called American Biography. Go and find it on a podcatcher of your choice. Feedback, feedback, give me feedback. If you want to email me and possibly even get on the show, you can do that by emailing me at royfield at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter. Um, I'm not great on the platform, but I am at Royfield on Twitter. And of course, you can go all the way over to Facebook and you can find Friday 15 there. Oh, 
one last thing be awesome if you could write us a little bit of a review on itunes or on a podcatcher of your choice see you all again in seven days time on another friday hey folks i'm mark Marin from the wtf podcast and this episode is brought to you by kleenex ultra soft tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.